It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm but perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're learning from Annie Brookstone. Now, according to the bio she sent me, Annie Brookstone is a former magazine bus top and current freelance writer and editor who has recently moved from Cape Town to Berlin. She's lucked out into watching porn, smoking weed, and masturbating, and then also getting to call it research. When she's not writing about sex, cannabis, or travel, her interests include getting tied up, learning how to fight the biggest guy in the room, and snacking. She's also cuck at wearing clothes. So that is who we have on the podcast today, Miss Annie Brookstone. And Annie is someone who I have followed online for a very long time, probably about eight or nine years now. And then we met up once in Cape Town. We had a brief chat and it was cool. And other than that, I just know her through the internet and I just know her through writing, which I really, really enjoy. And I'm just going to say it one minute 21 into the podcast. Her piece on anal sex is one of the best, you know, pieces of writing I've read, personally. Like, you have to go read it to understand, but it resonated with me really hard. Like, it was just this deeply personal take on her first time having anal sex. And, you know, like, you wouldn't expect something like that to be something that you, like, you know, resonate with. But that's the way Annie writes, and I mean, she can write in a lot of different ways, and has taught me and a lot of men and a lot of women a lot about sex over the years. So yeah, we talk about sex, baby, and we talk about weed, and we talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or as I annoyingly call it multiple times <laughs> throughout the podcast, uh, jits. And that's because my friend Mitchell Harper, who has been uh, a guest on this podcast, he calls it jits. And so it's put it into my brain. So if, if you hate me calling jiu-jitsu jits, uh, blame Mitch. And go, go listen to that podcast as well. It's quite a fun one. And yeah, we chat about the, uh, the relationship between being tied up, between jiu-jitsu, how those things you know, tie together and are different, and how they relate to writing, and how they don't relate to writing, and yeah, man, this is just a a really interesting conversation, and one I'm so grateful we get to have. In general, I'm just grateful for Annie's work, like, because I've learned so much from it, and also I just think it's important for the general public, I guess, you know, to have these people who champion alternative causes I guess you know alternative lifestyles that's aren't that weird it's not that different just sex it's just being tied up it's just being spanked it's just some kinky shit yo and you know having someone like Annie being yo this is the kinky shit I'm into and this is what that's like you know this is what the reality of it is like this is what that experience really feels like you know emotionally physically this is yeah the lived experience of it all and yeah 
just to me, I find that incredibly valuable. And so, once again, I'm really, really stoked that I have Annie on this podcast and we get to chat about the things <laughs> we chatted about. And especially because you need to chat about anything other than the shit that's going on in South Africa and around the world right now. Like, I'm, I'm on a good path right now. I'm like getting into the Stoics at the moment, which is a bit weird for me because I always used to kind of hate them. I always used to be like, yeah, you know, the, what is it, Seneca, you know, do your job without whining. And it's like, yeah, but that's how you get exploited. But these days I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to do my job without whining. Like, if I'm getting exploited, obviously I'll speak up and be like, yay. But in general, you know, just, I'm going to shh, just do my thing because, yo, 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 it's crazy out there, man. Surfers are trying to have their long surf to freedom. I'm just like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, I thought you guys were meant to be chilled, you know? I thought surfers, out of everyone, like, in, you know, the subgenres of white people that would be out there protesting right now, I did not think it would be the surfers, you know? <laughs> I don't even know who I thought it would be, but, like, definitely not the surfers. And then there was that yoga woman. <sighs> Yo, she looked like, <laughs> it was funny, man. She she looked like a Mortal Kombat character. I was like, damn, like she can do the scorpion pose. No, I shouldn't be testing our material on you guys, especially when it's not properly written. But like the thing is like with yoga, you can do it inside. Like you can, you don't have to go outside. And also doesn't it teach you to be chilled? Do not do so. But is that the thing? Are people like freaking out because they don't get to do the thing that chills them out? Maybe, maybe. I don't know anything though, I'll tell you that much. So me, I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. And my thing that I'm doing at the moment, one of the things that you might know about, you might have seen on the social medias, is I am writing an animated TV show with Sheldon Bankstone. And it's called Super Delinquent Squad. And Kayla Archer has been doing the artwork for it. And that is on the internet now. Some of it. You can see a sneak peek. There's still... <laughs> the journey, like, the road is long, you know? <laughs> and it's going to be quite some time probably before the show gets made, even if it does get made. But pretty good chance we're going to get a pilot made. So from there, we need to try and sell it. It's, it's a process, but it's a process I'll keep you informed on as time goes on. But yeah, go check out the socials for Super Delinquent Squad. Well, my socials, and you can see the Super Delinquent Squad. You can meet Joy and Carrie, who are <laughs> pretty fun characters to write, and who are some pretty bad girls, uh, who just, you know, I'm like, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat, we'll chat as time goes on. Uh, the other thing I'm doing is almost live. This is a live... Okay, the, the last one did not hit the mark for it at all, because the whole thing is meant to be, like, a short deep dive on one particular aspect of someone's career, whereas this is meant to be like a long-form, free-flowing conversation about someone's whole life. So, like, the last one I did was with Nas uh, Hussein, who we do the Anti-Film Film Club, and who's also been a guest on this podcast a while ago. Uh, I chatted to him, and we did like a pretty long, almost live, but going forward... They're meant to be like these 20 minutes long, yeah, deep dives on a particular aspect of someone's career. And you can check that out 
on YouTube. That's at seven o'clock every single Tuesday night. And if you are a patron over on patreon.com, you will have seen some of the branding uh, that we're, we're, I say we, <laughs> we're not working on, that Louis de Villiers is working on. And I'm chipping in a little bit with my two cents here and there. Uh, but yeah, Louis de Villiers, also ex-guest of this podcast, is working on some branding for Almost Live and for the Almost Perfect podcast, which you'll get to see soon. But if you're a patron over on patreon.com forward slash almost perfect, you can see some of that for yourself uh, right now. And speaking of Patreon, Patreon, yes, that is what I was speaking about. Uh, patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. There is a tier there. It's a $10 tier called the titular titles tier. Yes, it's exactly what it's called. And we've got three people at that tier. Now, if you're at this tier, not only do you get an almost perfect mug when I'm legally allowed to get mugs made, um, you will also get to have a shout out on this podcast and pick your title. So we've got three people who are at that tier right now. Firstly, we've got King Julian, so shout out to King Julian. We've got Chief Sales Officer of Subtle Heresies in the Greater Overberg region, Rousseau, so shout out to Rousseau. And then we've got His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Stephen Olafia, VC, DSO, MC, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the sea and conqueror of the British Empire and Africa in general and certain parts of Kuzulu-Natal in particular. Or something slightly less pretentious like executive producer. So shout outs to those three people. I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, and in terms of your work, I mean, I'm a big fan of your money. So thank you very much. You're definitely helping make this podcast better. And yeah, you're helping make it almost live a thing. Uh, this should be, it should look pretty different on this coming Tuesday. I've got a whole weekend to learn some things and to improve some of my skill set. And yeah, hopefully on Tuesday, Almost Live is going to look a lot different than it has over the last few weeks. And going forward, thanks to Louis de Villiers, both this podcast and Almost Live are going to look really, really slick. But that's enough about the podcast. That's enough about me. That's enough about the craziness of the world. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk with Annie Brookstone. So how are you living Annie Brookstone? <laughs> uh... I'm going to go with good, all things considered. <laughs> um, yeah, not I bad. Like that. It's, it's weird times. And I think as, as a person who like is kind of like, I've been up in my own head most of my life anyway, this is just like, <laughs> on the one hand, I'm like, fuck, I should be writing a book. And on the other hand, I'm like, fuck, I'm never going to write again. <laughs> I think a lot of people are feeling that way, though. I mean, just by the reactions online, you know, just by seeing a lot of what people are saying online, it's it's been a weird thing of like, yeah, some people are like, fuck it, I'm, I am writing a book, you know, kind of thing. And other people are like, not a fuck am I ever writing, like you say. So have you <laughs> have you done anything? Have you been productive at all? What's, yeah, what's your situation like at the moment in terms of work? Um, you know what? I lost... A lot of clients or let me not say less they're kind of on point <laughs> at the moment um and then I got a lot of work out of nowhere for like <laughs> example I'm writing uh video descriptions for a porn site <laughs> <laughs> Fun. you know because like some industries are still going yeah um, well that's one industry that's very much you know doing <laughs> fairly well at the moment right 
so it's this this kind of weird thing where I thought I was going to have all this time on my hands and I don't and I'm a, a little bit resentful about that <laughs> it's like whilst everyone else is like posting about their animal crossing and stuff like that you're actually doing like copywriting essentially exactly, exactly. like everyone's watching like baking banana bread and I am like watching porn videos for work <laughs> That doesn't sound too bad, though. Like, all things considered. Like, like so I, I get why you were saying, like, at the beginning, you know, things are pretty good, all things considered. You get, to, you get to watch porn and write the descriptions. And you know what? That's actually needed because, yo, I've read some porn descriptions, and that's not what happens in the video. Like, right. Yeah. You're someone who's, yeah, been on that smut train for quite a long time, though. Like, I mean, that's... I well, smut is you know a general yeah. term for all of it. True, true. But, I'll accept that. <laughs> but train, uh, well, train could have the wrong connotations. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like you're someone who I've known online for a very long time. I think probably like seven, eight, maybe even nine years now, mm-hmm. and we've only met once. But one of the things that like you know I follow you for, and one of the things I've learned so much about from you is sex. Like, that is your – sex and weed are probably, like, the two things that, like, I would I uh, say <laughs> you're most, most well-versed in. So, I guess we could go to the beginning. And mm-hmm. how did you get into, yeah, writing about sex and writing about weed? Because those are things that <laughs> – weed, like, weed these days is easy to write about, but sex is still a little bit taboo mm-hmm. sometimes. But when you started, it was a completely different scene, yeah, I think, you know, obviously, I want to say obviously I've always been interested in these things because everyone's fucking interested in <laughs> so sex and weed. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is interested in sex. Everyone's interested in drugs. And I think, you know, being in the South African media at the time and I had been a magazine editor for six years um, and then I went freelance. And uh, which it, magazine were you editing? So I edited a bunch of custom publications and the most kind of recent one, and when I say recent, I mean I left in 2013, but that was Obrigado. Oh, cool. Uh, or Vida, yeah. Yeah. And like Obrigado, I think, was like my first taste of a magazine that like, or like content. Content. Where, yeah, and where, where I had some freedom and it was like quite cutting edge at the time. I mean, you know, especially for a South African publication. And, and one that was attached, like you said, to a coffee brand there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we had, like, quite a lot of freedom with the content. I think, I mean, insofar as anyone can have freedom with their content when you're also trying to appeal to advertisers and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the advertising industry, like, you know, it's always got its mavericks and its bad boys and people who like that sort of thing. You know, exactly. there is a there's an image within the advertising community that you can advertise to even, like through that. Exactly. Um, And then, I mean, eventually I left Abrogado after about two years and had decided that I was done working full time. I was done with an office job. I mean, I'd also started editing magazines when I was like fucking, I don't know, 23 or something, (laughs) something crazy like that. And I just felt particularly in the context of our media that like I was already editing the magazine that I liked the most. I could only move sideways. 
So, yeah. so were there any other publications coming in? Like I know Vice was coming in like at that point, and you know, like some there were other magazines that were doing some pretty good content. Like, wouldn't you have wanted to go to Cosmo or I mean, something like that? There were magazines doing good content that had no budget, or there were magazines that <laughs> had <laughs> money and shit content. Um, and yeah, like I think like a lot of shit in my life had changed at that point. And I, I just was like, you know... Being an I, editor's hot. Yeah, and I was like, I, I feel... No, it's not that it was hard, though. That's a thing. <laughs> really? Like, I hated managing lots of people. Like, that's that's the thing that I don't I, enjoy. But I like the content side of it. I like the planning, like, everything out. I just wish I could have had someone else managing the people. I, <laughs> like, I loved managing people. I loved organizing shoots. The thing that eventually got me was the thing that I was talking about, about, you know, especially it was a magazine that was funded with advertising only. So... Yeah. In the end, it became like this kind of battle every time we were talking about the content for the next issue of like me versus the ad sales guys. <laughs> and I'm going like, this is like a youth culture magazine. I am, you know, 20 something years old. I think that like my voice has got to be surely louder and more relevant than yours, 40 something year old <laughs> white ad salesman. Um, yeah, and it just got to a point where I felt that I didn't want my name attached to something that was starting to feel a bit like an advertorial to me. That totally makes sense. Like, I'm, like, just judging from how I know you. And so you were like, cool, I'm done with Obrigado, freelance yeah. last, now we come. Yeah, I essentially, I was like, cool, I'm going to go freelance. I put, like, a tweet on Twitter, and I was like, hey, I'm freelance now. <laughs> By the way, I have to say your your article on freelance, the, I think it was on 10 and 5 a few years yes. ago, was very helpful, <laughs> like just to, to me, like personally, and I'm sure yeah. to other people as well, but it definitely had some useful advice. So if it's still on the internet, I suggest listeners go check that out. So does that mean you never tried selling your panties because I told you it was a bad idea? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, you know, that wasn't ever really on my list of things to do, like, <laughs> just in general. So how was it yeah, starting out freelancing back then? Because, I mean, freelance culture is more of a thing now, like just in general. You know, we've moved to the gig economy more hectically. But once again, when you started out, it was a different ballgame. I think I was super lucky in that I'd been in the industry for six years. People knew what I was doing. People knew my name. I never, I never had to hustle. I never had to send somebody an email and be like, oh, hey, I'm Annie Brookstone and... Uh, you know, I'm a writer and I'm looking for work. Like that just never happened. People reached out to me and it was awesome. Um, which is kind of also how I got into the sex writing gig. So I had mentioned to an acquaintance working at FHM at the time, like kind of as a joke that I really wanted to be a sex writer, that that was, that was my next thing. Um, and a few, maybe a few weeks later, they contacted me and they said, okay, now's your chance. I spoke to Brendan Cooper, the editor, and we want you to write a sex feature for us. <laughs> so what, so what, what, yeah, what went through your mind then? Like, were you like, I don't know enough or like, you know, how oh, do I write no, this? I was a giant was... slut. I knew enough. <laughs> okay. 
Um, no, I just, you know, for me, like, FHM was the perfect starting point right about six. And like, you know, I, I can imagine people are listening to this and rolling their eyes because you know what the FHM readership is like. And I was just like, I was, I was the FHM readership at one point. And <laughs> those sex columns gave good advice sometimes. Like genuinely, there's things I remember from then that girlfriends have been thankful for, you know, like 10 years later. So, sure. But I think the thing is they also sometimes gave really bad advice. And like, yes. that, that is <laughs> the thing. You could almost it? recognize the moves that somebody was pulling that they'd read in last month's FHM. <laughs> like, or uh, the like alphabet trick and stuff like that. Exactly. Or the like uh, nine shallow thrusts and then one deep one followed uh, by. <laughs> Everyone knows that one. <laughs> Once again, useful when you're young. You know, like I, I think if FHM's target audience is 16 to 18 year old boys, then like it was the perfect magazine. But once you were a bit older than that, like the information definitely wasn't that useful. True, but I also think that, you know, when I at least got into it, it was like such a kind of cookie cutter approach to sex. It was like, you know, this five moves to drive her wild. And it just assumed that every woman responded the same to everything. Yeah. So I, w I went into it thinking, fuck, I, I have this readership of these like, you know, I would always imagine like some guy in his first year in university in res like you know in like maybe a conservative town like maybe potch <laughs> 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 like this is what i was imagining like the almost like lowest common denominator and i was like how am i going to turn this boy into a sex positive feminist like cool man <laughs> who who respects women isn't nope. afraid to ask what partners need. Like, this this is what I wanted to do. And I was just like, ah, oh, at last. <laughs> and the editorial let you do that, obviously. They gave me complete freedom. After I submitted that one article for them, they called me into their offices and said, hey, we'd like to have you on retainer writing for us. Um, wow. Okay, like, people... <laughs> people listening might not know like how big that is like to just be put on retainer after one article is pretty gangster all right and they're like you have complete complete freedom you can write about anything you like just send us a sex feature every month <laughs> <laughs> um and so the adventure began from there yeah at that point i was writing under a pseudonym because a big family thing friends Exactly, exactly. I, I had a teenage brother at the time. Um, I mean, he's 21 now. So, you know, like, this like kid in my family who I didn't want his friends to be like, oh, I read about, about your sister's sex life the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Was um, that a concern early on? Like, well, what were the concerns early on when you started out sex writing? Because obviously, it's, it's an interesting thing to put yourself out there in that way. Obviously, you're doing it for good intentions. You want to teach people things. You want to share information. And it's information that needs to be shared. But on a personal level, there's a lot that must be going on inside. I, th I think, you know, like my brief from FHM was just make people laugh and make them horny. Make them hard and make, <laughs> make them laugh. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't want to go out there pretending that I was like some sort of like sexologist or sex expert. Like, essentially, I want to go and say, 
you know, these are my experiences as a 20-something-year-old who's fucking a lot. <laughs> these, these are things that I have found. Um, obviously, if there was, like, research to back it up, great. But, you know, my thing, my thing was never to be pretending that I'm some sort of expert that I'm not. It was like, this is a learning experience for everyone. So here is something I've gone through, and this is what I've learned from it, and what you could possibly learn from it. And that basically put me in a position where I didn't want anyone to read a story and go, oh, fuck, I think that's me. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I, I didn't want everyone who I've had sex with to be looking for, like, me, I don't know, talking about how great it was in the next issue of FHM. <laughs> or how bad it was. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, is no, more often the case <laughs> I mean I can understand that like just through throughout my own history like there's been some times where it just hasn't been a good time but that's that's why like what you do I feel has been so valuable like especially for me and it's also one of the things that like I really admire and appreciate is how personal and open you can be with your writing I like I'm, this is awkward for me to bring up, but your piece on your piece on anal sex was like something that like resonated <laughs> with me. Like just the the like personal side of it more than you know the actual like anal sex side of it was like it was emotive and it was something that was like <laughs> shit. Like damn, <laughs> I'm blushing so hard right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like the, as I said, like it's like awkward for me to bring up, but it was just like. One of those things that, like, after I read that, like, I genuinely, like, admired you a lot more because it was such a personal thing and it was such a a brave thing from my perspective to bring up to, like, a general public. So how do you do that? Like, how do you go, like, I'm going to share the story with everyone, especially once you started doing it under your own name? You know, I think I think what it was is that, like, it, it's a learning curve for everyone, like I said. And, like, the more I learned about myself, the more I kind of realized that, I am a bit of a freak. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am very kinky. I am you you know, I don't want to say I think about sex all the time because sometimes I think about snacks. But <laughs> uh so coins uh, Adidas song there can be either or. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just I guess what it was for me is that I realized that, you know, I'm not trying to titillate people. Like I'm not I'm not trying to be like this like I don't know sex siren or some sort of like I just want to speak openly and frankly about shit in a way that like some pervy dude isn't gonna message me and be like oh I'm wanking over your content right now but at the same time somebody can go oh fuck that resonates with me and that's real <laughs> <still> for me <laughs> <clears throat> Because, like, especially, you know, with things like anal sex or kink or BDSM, like, people people do still, like, feel like there's a lot of stigma around it. And they do still think it's, like, this, like, really, like, risque, um, you know, I think a big thing for me, like, especially in terms of kink and BDSM was, like, people people's ideas of it were informed by, like, basically Rammstein music videos and, <laughs> and CSI death scenes, like, you know, CSI crime scenes. Yeah. Like, like, it's always just, like, this, like, really, like, 
I don't know, intense, um, damaging, negative, yeah. risky, yeah, whatever. And I just wanted to go, hey, I'm a normal, normal ass person <laughs> in so okay. many ways. And this is like an element of my life that feels as normal to me as anything else. But it's just societal judgments, obviously, because people feel, I think kinks are like people responding to it negatively are usually somewhat turned on by it. Like that's my understanding of things and they don't know how to, you know, bring it up within themselves almost. It's like people don't know how to deal with like how uncomfortable some stuff can make them, you know, like and how, yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think for me, when I had decided that, you know, I want to do use writing about sex to kind of like normalize things. And I don't want to say educate people, but, you know, make people think critically about it and actually make decisions and not just like default to whatever normal is, default to whatever feels most acceptable. And I think I think doing that behind a pseudonym kind of reinforces that idea that there's something to be scared of. So what was the thought pattern of going, I'm no longer going to use a pseudonym? Because I remember like reading something. I can't remember which piece it was in, but you did mention stuff about like your dad, essentially. You know, you didn't necessarily want him to know yes. what you were writing about. And like... Uh, you know, I think at some point... You know, especially with like my Instagram becoming more kinky as I was exploring <laughs> those aspects of myself. Like at some points I was just like, you know, everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows that this is what I am like. And nobody has been shitty to me. Like nobody who I know and respect has gone, uh, are, are you sure you want to be doing this? Are you sure you want to be talking about these things? Like everyone is just so encouraging and so positive and so grateful yeah because we yeah. we don't have to do it like you're the one <laughs> you're the one like that's you know putting themselves out there so that we don't have to uh, and I don't want to pretend that it's not scary sometimes like I do have these moments where I'm like ah oh, fuck what if I lose all my clients and like somebody I don't know, Googles me and sees that I'm talking about being tied up or, and then it's but just like, do I want to? Doesn't that just give you like more credence though? Like to a lot of what you write about? I know it's not all you write about. I know you write about a wide variety of things. When I was Googling you, I saw you do some listicles and that as well. <laughs> so yeah, like I know it's not all you write about, but it is obviously quite a big part. I, I do also think though at the end of the day like and this is speaking about writing in general is that people want good writers they're not so much concerned about the name behind the writing they just yeah. want good content you know that's the, that's the unfortunate thing for someone who's a bit more ego driven like myself who like <laughs> got into writing thinking somehow it was going to make my name and you know I guess sometimes it did but yeah, like, 
that's the thing. As a writer, your name isn't that valuable in 2020. But at the same time, your name now is because you've got these experiences, because you've shared these experiences, because you've got this wealth of knowledge that you've shown that you can share. So that's why I can't see clients necessarily dropping you, you know, based on you going like, I've been tied up when it's like, you're literally big ass, like, <laughs> what's it like to be tied up? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, that's the thing. It's like, ultimately, like, I couldn't separate like aspects of my life and go, okay, you know, this is what was my student and Mandy May. This is Mandy May, the sex writer. And this is Annie Brookstone, the girl who writes about nice things. <laughs> you know, good, clean fun. <laughs> so, yeah, when did that separation happen? When did you just become Annie Brookstone, the writer? Um, gosh, I don't even remember. Like, I think... I think it got to the point where, you know, like when I went into sex writing initially, like it was, I didn't take that seriously. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. It's it's more that like. It was fun. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of fun. And then I started like reading back on the shit that I wrote and I went, wait, this is like good. <laughs> this is good and I'm proud of it. And even though, I don't know, somebody might be blushing to read it, like I feel like it's I'm saying something important and why am I, why am I saying it as this made up person? Like I, I believe in it strongly enough to put my name behind it. And yeah, like I can't say exactly when it was, but it was when I'd been doing it a while and I just went, you know what? <laughs> this, this, this is fine. <laughs> People can know it's me. Exactly. Exactly. And- and since then, have you found your career's flourished? Like, it's kind of made you who you are now. Um, like, in, in like, from my outside perspective. So I'm, I'm just talking as someone who knows you from the internet, who follows okay. you on Instagram. And, like, I read your work in that. You know, Annie Brookstone is now Annie Brookstone, you know? Like, you are your own brand. Like, instead of doing this whole... And I hate using a word like brand, but you know what I mean. You've worked in advertising. <laughs> I, I, think, I think yes and no. I... I've always been busy, like, you know, I've, work has never been slow for me, no matter who anyone thinks I am, because, like, again, you know, people, people want good content. Yeah. Um, I do think that, like, a lot of what I'm working on now is stuff that I am personally interested in, um, you know, if I can... You're writing for Kush Kush, I think that's the name of the site, right? Yes, yes. So, yeah, like that, I write about weed, which is amazing and, you know, so so cool, again, to take, like, another topic that really has been, like, under-discussed or just, like, really glossed over on, like, the most basic level. And or just discussed in circles, like, where the discussion isn't that interesting. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, stoner culture in general has been portrayed pretty badly in the media and that's because you know stoners have been the ones portraying it a lot of the time but it's cool like your piece Mm -hmm. on the greener sex i think was what it was called like was so dope like in so many ways it was just like both personal and well written full of information full of like just stuff i didn't even know beforehand and like you (laughs) know i love weed so this was like yeah it was really cool to learn from that yeah, and I think I think it's also just like especially with topics like, you know, weed or sex, like 
you don't want to be preaching to the choir. Like for me, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't help if I imagine that the people that I'm speaking to are, you know, already sex positive or are already stoners. Like, like the point is to be more inclusive with everything and to go, even if you don't understand why I do this thing, like to build a level of acceptance or normalizing like that's still important. And I think that was really nice with Kush Kush is that there was like this whole new market of people kind of, kind of getting turned onto weed for the first time without it being demonized and not knowing where to start and not knowing their place in it. Yeah, that's actually, I never even thought about that because yeah, weed's just been part of my life for most right. of my life. Right. <laughs> I can imagine, it, I mean, it is just a completely different environment, especially in places, I mean, in South Africa, it's at least decriminalized and stuff now, but all around the world, it's becoming more legal to do weed. And so people who might have not been, like, I know personally, weed being illegal was 90% of the appeal when I was younger. <laughs> like, <that> was, <laughs> right. <laughs> I would have just smoked cigarettes if I wanted to smoke. Like, right. but no, I would have smoked something <laughs> illegal. So it was like getting the weed. But I get you. Like, it's a completely different environment, completely different culture. And yeah, being able to share that information with new people is so valuable because you're, the, the stuff you learn on your own or from your friends, <laughs> both, both right. about sex and weed, is just almost <laughs> always incorrect. Right. And like, like I think it's, it's got to be about a kind of like culture of like sharing experiences. It doesn't it doesn't matter if your experience is perfect or if it's bad or whatever. Like people just need to talk about this shit because otherwise you don't know. You don't know if you're doing it right. You don't know if you're, I think, I don't know, smoking parsley or. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not inhaling, you know, like. Exactly. There's, yeah. There's an infinite number of ways. One thing I did want to chat to you about because it's pretty recent and it does affect you is Associated Media is closing down in South Africa, yes. which means a bunch of print magazines are going down, including Cosmo, who I think you mm -hmm. wrote for that. I, I uh, wrote for them and I was the acting deputy editor for about four months. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> quite a title. Yeah, it's a mouthful. <laughs> How did, how did, well, A, how did you feel about having that job? Like, was it a thing where you're like, cool, this is prestigious or just, nah, I'm just working? Um, it, it was interesting because essentially what happened is that I was working on House and Leisure as their copy editor for four months while they were interviewing for the position. And, you know, they're like, do you want to work for us full time? I was like, nah, but <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll come in, I'll come in while you're finding the right candidates. And I think two days before I was due to leave for House and Leisure, uh, somebody came upstairs from Cosmo and they're like, uh, could you just come downstairs for a quick conversation with the Cosmo team? And I was like, I mean, I had never written for a women's magazine before. Like I'd written for Men's Health, FHM, <laughs> like hugest, weirdest selection of magazines, but never for a women's glossy. So... I was like, yeah, okay. Was I it intimidating? Um, like, I, I hate to I, use that word for you, but like, I can imagine it might be. I was confused, if you put it that way. <laughs> so I went down and the editor sat me down and said, 
look, I'm leaving in a few days. The current deputy editor is uh, coming on as editor. Like, I no, in fact, there was a new editor coming on and the deputy editor left. So, like, brand new, like, senior team. And she's like, yeah, we heard that you're leaving House and Leisure in a few days and, like, have only heard good things about you. Do you want to be the acting deputy editor while we're hiring for this position? And I was like, have you seen me? <laughs> Sitting there covered in tattoos, like, <laughs> probably pink hair at the time. I was like, uh, me, are you sure? Like, do, do you know Do you know me? <laughs> and they're they're like yeah just you know come on we'll show you we'll show you how to do stuff what they said to me was like oh no we 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 only need you for a month like we'll we'll have somebody by the end of the month I was then like okay but you do know that like I don't come in earlier than nine o'clock they're like yeah 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 that's fine and I was like okay and I leave at four because I don't want to sit in traffic they're like oh totally cool I was like okay Fuck, like, what else can I ask for? <laughs> um, so they were, yeah, like, they were just accommodating to you. So they made your life pretty easy to accept the job. They, they did. And I think, you know, because I had this, like, very strong idea about what a women's magazine was like, I, I had never engaged with them that much before. Like, the last Cosmo I had read was, you know, when I was a teenager, yeah, I, I also read Cosmo as a teenager because, <laughs> like, friends, friends, girlfriends would have them, and you read them because they've also got sex tips and right? stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what but are you it's, looking for? It's very different. Um, and also, Cosmo, like, when you're younger, has a lot of hot girls in it. Like, genuinely, like, it's a woman's mag, but it's got the same, like, woman in it as the man's mag. <laughs> like and fewer men like men's health has more like staunch bodies in it than Cosmo does so if you're <laughs> a young boy Cosmo made a lot of sense but yeah so Cosmo you were you were writing for them they well they brought you on as the deputy editor for a month and then it went on yeah and, and then you know I started getting towards the end of the month and I was like hmm so have you guys found anyone yet and they're like oh no you know we're still we're still interviewing I was just like, oh, fuck, this is how they trap you. But, you know, the, the amazing thing was that in the time that, you know, since I'd last really engaged with a women's magazine, like, a lot has changed. And, like, there is, like, this, like, you know, real need to be more aware and more woke, so to speak. And, like, I was, I would say, pleasantly surprised. <laughs> it was very different to, yeah, what you imagined. Yeah, I mean, not, I wouldn't say very different, but quite different. <laughs> um, Were you expecting it to be more like appealing to the puppies kind of thing? Or I, I, who, I, who did you think yeah, the target market was like going in? I, I mean, I, I still, I still think it's, it's the same target market. You know, it's, it's kind okay. of like young women, 18 to 25, but like an 18 year old now is so different to what I was like at 18. Yeah, I can't, like, yeah, I can't imagine, like, what it must be like to be 18 these days. Just right. the, I, I remember being 18 and just being, like, stoked on the amount of information I had access to because of the internet. Mm-hmm. But this was, you know, when we had MySpace. Like, that was it. Yeah. MySpace, we had Merck, we had some ways to communicate with people, but, you know, we would log off and go home. <laughs> like, it, these days, there's no logging off. 
Exactly, exactly. And I just think, you know, when I was 18, even if I thought that I was, I don't know, I thought I was so grown up or whatever, like the words (laughs) didn't exist that exist now that like shape your world. Like, you know, (laughs) like it's just amazing how non-critical and I don't want to say stupid because, you know, I'm sure 18-year-old me had some... Some good ideas. Some some good ideas, but, yeah, like, it... I mean, there's obviously some version of that person still, you know, around today. Like, I look back at at 18-year-old me and, like, I'm like, yeah, you're an idiot, but, like, more and more I'm, like, forgiving him. Like, I'm just like, you weren't that much of an idiot. You're kind of on the right path. You were, you know, these things you were all right about, so that's cool. You're wrong about all that shit, too, but, you know, 50-50, not too bad. <laughs> so, Well, ex- exactly, and I guess, I guess, like, you know, looking at, like, the content that is, like, focused on, like, young people these days. I mean, even if you look at Teen Vogue, what they do is incredible, you know. Yeah, no, Teen Vogue's like one of the like focus mags out there. Like, right? it's incredible. Right. So, so I guess like you know, I ended up working on Cosmo for four months because that's, <laughs> you know, I had to like give them an ultimatum eventually and be like, guys, like you need you need to hire someone. <laughs> um, I really am just here temporarily. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, like I ended up working, I ended up working at Associated for eight months in a row. What was meant to be one month. <laughs> but that's cool though. Like, I mean, it's cool that your life is like that and that you've structured it in a way. Like listening to you talk, some people must be so jealous. Like, I can only imagine, <laughs> you know, like being able to tell Cosmo, like I'm only coming in at nine, I'm leaving at four, and they're like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> But it's like it was, through over a decade of experience, like you've, yeah, you've put in the work, you've gained experience in so many different fields, you've built up a name for yourself that they but, can do that, like and you can ask for that. I I also think it it never hurts to ask, right? Like I'm yeah. I'm, I'm pretty cheeky in that way that like, you know, even if I think somebody's not going to go for something, I'll just I'll just put it out there. The worst that can that can happen is they say no, nah, it doesn't work for us. Yeah. <laughs> one thing i wanted to chat to you about though is brazilian jiu-jitsu you used to do jits right yes do you still do you still do it um well, well, I not, haven't not been... right now obviously <laughs> like, that would be a bad <laughs> idea i haven't picked it up again in berlin but it was definitely like number one thing on my to-do list for this year before uh social distancing fucked everything but yeah, I'm still weirdly, strong as fuck from that. <laughs> yeah, weirdly enough, it's the thing I'm like after social distancing, like maybe next year or whatever. Like it's the thing I want to do now. Like this this uh, isolation has really made me realize like that is something I want to learn how to do. And yeah, how how did you get into it? <laughs> so I was kind of going through like this extremely, I would say, anxious phase that I think a lot of women can probably relate to like this like feeling of like walking down the street and like you know I just I just know somebody's going to say something inappropriate I know somebody's going to catcall me like I I had this extreme anxiety and like panic about just like being powerless 
And it started turning into anger. And then I was just angry about being powerless. I was just like angry that if somebody is bigger than me, they could say whatever they want. And one day I was just like, you know what? What what do I have to learn to fight the biggest guy in the room? That was that was it. I put a, a thing on Facebook and I was like, hey, I want to learn to fight. My only requirement is that I can fight the biggest guy in the room. <laughs> and people gave me a bunch of suggestions and some people were like so like disparaging. They were like, oh, you know, self-defense, like picking a fight is a bad idea. You need to Not run. And I was like, I was, right? And I it's was like, like this will... This is a self-defense. I want to fight someone. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's also like, you can't always run. That's the unfortunate truth of the matter. That's like, if people could always run, they would. It's yeah. being able to being able to defend yourself is something we should all try and learn. You know, not to try and like just like go out and cause fights with people, but if, mm-hmm. like you say, like you know, you're like because. I, I see it just, you know, with my own girlfriend, you know, like when we walking outside, our experiences are very different, mm-hmm. you know, like the anxiety mm-hmm. she faces and the ones I face are quite different. You know, yes, I'm also worried about my safety at times, but completely differently. And so, yeah, like I totally understand wanting to learn how to defend yourself and also, yeah, like learn how to but- fight the biggest guy in the room, because sometimes the biggest guy in the room is going to be the one who's fucking with you. Exactly. And it wasn't, it wasn't like just like a self-defense thing. Cause like then everyone was like, Oh, you know, poke them in the eyes or kick them in the balls. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm angry. I want to know how to fight. I want to know how to like maintain this thing so that I can beat somebody up. Like, you know, it was, it was really just about like channeling anger. And like, I remember the first place where I started training, you know, I sent them an email saying that I want to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, like, I don't know, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about it because I'm a woman and I'm probably older than everyone in the class. I assume and, they told you you were perfect for it? Well, so so the, the dude, the, the dude email, I mean, he called me and he was like, hey, you know, I got your email and I just thought I should let you know that we've also started uh, – a women's self-defense class and I just cut him off right there and I said I said I don't want to fight women I don't like I just want to fight someone like you know cool like maybe I'll come to a few self-defense classes but that's not the point like I just want to fight someone I just want to know that you can handle yourself that, that if I decided to take on the biggest guy in the room I could <laughs> and he was like oh okay definitely come to jujitsu <laughs> And so in jiu-jitsu, did you learn how to take on the biggest guy in the room? Um, yeah. Look, after my first class, I was in so much pain that I... <laughs> I, I can imagine. I was in so much pain I could barely walk. And I arrived at the second class and I said, I'm so sore. I just gonna, I'm just going to watch this class if that's okay. And the coach was like, that's not fucking okay. Get into your clothes and start jogging. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because um, the discipline's a big part of it as well. That's the thing with martial arts that I am learning to really respect is just the doing it even when you don't want to kind of stuff, you yeah. know, like the, yeah. Because that's, it, in real life, that helps. With writing, that helps so much. 
for sure and like you know the thing is you you don't you don't get like a cool training montage and you skip to you know when you're fit like you go through you go through it like there were times when we would have like class that was just rolling just like drilling with different partners every two minutes and i would like exactly i would have the sweat of five huge men on me i was the smallest in the class and i would just come out of there drenched in other people's sweat as well as my own like so tired that i wanted to puke like that's so gross but at the same time what do you think of that you know like as a writer, what's going through your mind, like when that's happening? Because you're like, I think as a writer, you experience things probably differently. On like, okay, you're, you're also you're doing jits, so you're trying to not fucking get. Maybe you're not <laughs> even thinking as a writer at all. Actually, I might be thinking about this completely wrong because you're literally just going, "How the fuck do I prevent this person from getting me in an armbar or choking me or just like, yeah, making me tab?" So maybe I'm thinking about it completely wrong. Look, I, I think definitely at the time you're you're not composing the story. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's like the one time like my internal narrator would shut up <laughs> but that's to do it like that's genuinely it like i want to just be in that state of focus actually you know like where it's you've got you have to just focus on that task because i'm someone whose brain goes all over the place even when i'm doing yoga even when i try to meditate yeah i struggle like i struggle well, to like, go on to one like path but just seems like something that would very much send to me i think i think like the nature of being a writer is you're an overthinker you're always doing whatever you're doing and then engaging with it in this weird abstract way where you know it's it's a story it's uh, and that was like always the thing for me like when i'd have a bad hookup i was like oh well at least this is a good story (laughs) so yeah, I think like the thing with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and like also with being tied up is that you are in such a... I was intense... going to ask like if there's in... correlations. Huge, huge correlations just in the sense that you are like so present in your fucking body. You don't get to decide that you're somewhere else in that moment. Like you don't... It's so hugely grounding that like you're just there and you're just experiencing that and you're not thinking of like the fucking synonyms for <laughs> the thing. You're not thinking of the, the most beautiful words to describe it. You're just fucking yeah. there. You're sweating. You feel it's like you're going to... It's not painful. It's like, you know, you're just like, ow! <laughs> exactly. You're just grunting. Like that is communication for now. <laughs> and so do you find like that's the benefits of both those things for you? One of them, for sure. Um, yeah, like, my brain doesn't shut up a lot. Rarely. <laughs> and it is it is nice to do something that is, like, I want to say, like, so, like, grossly physical. Like, so, you know, you, you just are. It's, it's, it's its own sort of, like, ego stripping. Like, you, you can't pretend to be doing better than you're doing. You can't, you can't be cool. Like nobody, nobody looks good with their fucking like gum guard in, grunting and sweating on somebody, and you know. And so like, you just can't be cool, like in terms of like if you think you know something, you're going to get fucked up. Like if, if at any point you think like you're cool or you're good, like you're not. 
Exactly, exactly. Like, I always like there was that uh, Higgs and Gracie documentary choke where, you know, he, he says early on in the documentary, like, these other guys, they, like, they always talk about how they're, they're not scared of anything. I think that's stupid. I'm scared of everything. <laughs> and, like, you know, yeah, you that, should be. Like, that's how you get better is because you're worried the whole time, like, okay, what can they do here? Like, I, I'm saying this as someone who's, like, not done jiu-jitsu. I've been in street fights, and, like, I did mm-hmm. a bit of Muay Thai in high school. That was it. Like, I learned some Muay Thai to deal with bullies, and I dealt with bullies. But, like, yo, know, like, jiu-jitsu is something that, like, I just, I've got friends who do it, like, Mitch, who's been yes. on this podcast before. He loves it. He finds it incredibly valuable. You're someone else mm-hmm. as well who I see. Obviously, Joe Rogan's one of the biggest uh, advocates <laughs> for it. And just in general, it's something that's, yeah, like, I think... The physical chess aspects of it and just the centering of all of it makes it highly appealing to me. Exactly. Especially now that I've been getting fit. It's also just like very fucking empowering. Like even, A, you kind of like lose that desire to want to fight everyone because you're more grounded and more centered in yourself. But, But as you're losing it, you're also just more aware of the fact that you could. You know, and then, but, then you then you become like this merciful god. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of what Joe Rogan does mention in his podcast, where he's like, he just likes to have the ability to end a fight. Like, exactly. it's not it's not a, it's not about wanting to start them. It's not about yeah, like causing shit. It's just if shit does happen, it's nice to know. Like, it's nice to have that confidence in yourself because that almost does make you want to fight less because you're like, shit, if I get in a fight, this guy's really going to get hurt. And then you're like, try to escalate more. Exactly. And like what I always noticed in class is like the people who came with like egos and people who were just like fucking like balls, (laughs) balls, bags of testosterone. Like, like, I don't know. Like there were a few like shit people and they didn't last because it wasn't, for them it wasn't it wasn't what they needed it it did kind of demand like a, a huge level of respect for like the person that you're fighting ultimately and did demand like dedication and time and effort and like you know they just wanted to fuck someone up they ended up going to MMA <laughs> <laughs> and i mean like yeah like MMA has some of those aspects and you can like be good at MMA i'd say you'd have to have some jujitsu in you but yeah the more striking based ones are for different people like Mm -hmm. and trust me you still got to be thinking like boxing and kickboxing are both incredibly technical sports like you're still going Mm -hmm. to lose you can't like you might want to go in and fuck somebody up but if that person knows how to do the thing that you think you're trying to do you're not gonna have a good time (laughs) like it's just (laughs) yeah exactly and like that's also what i liked about jujitsu is it was essentially developed for like smaller people to fight bigger people like it's not it's not about how heavy you are it's not about how strong you are like you got to be tactical so you'd recommend it obviously to other people yes everyone (laughs) absolutely everyone should go do it so they can learn and yeah well once we once we can with uh, kobe v but (sighs) what is yeah what 
what are your plans going forward? Because I know you say your life isn't that different other than losing some clients, picking up some clients, okay. you're still writing, you're still staying inside. Actually, what's yeah, what's Berlin life like for you? Let me walk me through an average day when it's not like, you know, COVID nineteen situation. How's it different to Cape Town? How's yeah, how's the adjustment been? Like I I guess that I left Cape Town for kind of like the same reasons that I left a full time job. Like, you know, I I felt like I'd been in it, I knew it. Uh, it was a lot like high school. <laughs> and, you know, my plan was never like move to Berlin. I was just going to travel. And, you know, I sold everything until the point where I, everything that I owned could fit into two suitcases. Um, I do have a European passport, which obviously made it super easy for me. Uh, and yeah, like I ex- acknowledge that I'm fucking privileged there. I I sold everything that I own essentially to buy tickets to a few places and I planned four months of traveling and then I was like, you know, when I start getting to like the end of that, I'll figure out the next thing. As I was traveling, I was also just shedding shit because like two suitcases is still a fuckload when you're catching flights. Yeah, to travel with. Right. Of guy like that's <clears throat> like I'd hate picking up a suitcase at the the roundabouts and stuff. I always have anxiety that my stuff's gonna get lost or like right. broken or anything. So like as much as I can, like I'll try and fit everything on my back, but that's not always possible. Obviously, especially with traveling around Europe. But but also you know it was like this point where I'm in places that are not English speaking and I don't know where I'm going half the time and I'm in a rush to catch a train and like now I'm rushing with two huge fucking bags. It was just like, I felt like they were like two unruly dogs that I was dragging around. And I was like, okay, I just want one unruly dog. Um, and I got to Berlin. I had a month here planned. At the time, I had been approached by Google Play Music to interview for a job there. Uh, which would yeah, which which would be based in London and would involve essentially making South African music playlists for them, which I was like, you know, I said I'd never go back to a full time job, but if you want to pay me fifty thousand pounds a year to make playlists, like I'll interview for this job. The interview process for Google is intense. I would assume like, they they searched your history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and apparently didn't care. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was traveling at the time and they were like, it's cool, we can do video interviews. But I mean, we ended up doing like seven or eight video interviews. And I got to the point where I was in Berlin and still interviewing. And I was like, I can't plan any more traveling because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a cheap ass. Like I'm buying the non-refundable flights everywhere. And I was just like, if Google tells me to come to London to work for them, like, it's crazy if I then have all these flights and shit. So I was like, cool, I'm not planning anything. Um, Eventually, like a week before I was, I don't know, out of time at my Airbnb, they're like, yeah, it came down to you and one other candidate, and we went with them. Fine. (laughs) How? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I was kind of like at a loose end and I was like, shit, like, 
Berlin has been cool, but this whole time I've been stressing about job interviews and Google, and actually I kind of want to experience it now without having to worry about that. So I organized like another month in another Airbnb, and when the time like there was drawing to a close, I was like, shit, I... <laughs> I can't afford to live in an Airbnb. Like I'm just going to get like a, a medium term rental, medium term rental in Berlin, like just three months somewhere. Uh, it's just a matter of convenience. It's just it, going to help out for a little while. Exactly. And <laughs> then as it turns out, you can't stay in Germany for longer than three months without German health insurance. So I was like, ah, oh, okay, fuck, let me just get German health insurance. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then Damn. I learned how like insane bureaucracy is here and by the time I went through everything I was like okay fuck it I live in Berlin now like I'm not I'm not leaving after filling out <laughs> 200 German forms <laughs> so is, is that how they get you like it's just like the because also to leave now I assume would be a few more forms and you're just like I'm done I'm done with the forms it, basically I was just like you know I'm going to make this worthwhile. I'm going to stay. And then I made friends and I met somebody who, who I'm now dating and have moved in with. And I was just like, okay, shit. Like, this is my life now. It, my feeling, and I think my feeling since I left Cape Town is never like, I don't think about things like long term. I'm not thinking about where I want to live forever. I'm thinking about where I want to live for now. And for I now, this that. is still good. And I think, yeah, leaving Cape Town was, like, such a liberating thing and that I realized, like, you can pack up your whole life and go to the other end of the planet. And, like, your friends there are still your friends. Like, you still talk to them every day. Like, I still I still know what's going on. I'm still, I'm still working for South African clients. Like, it, you don't sever all your ties. And I think that's what so many people are scared of is that, like, yeah, definitely. Like, just you're speaking to me personally there. Yeah, you, you feel like everything you've worked for is for nothing. And, like, it's not really it's not really the way it works anymore. Like, we're so connected in so many ways that, okay, like, maybe now with uh, coronavirus, <laughs> things have changed. Coronavirus! <laughs> but, yeah, I kind of my old life and my new life kind of the transition was way less scary than I expected. And the things that were hard were not the things that I expected. Okay. Um, but sorry, to get back to your original question, living no, in like, I like, that. <laughs> like, no, like that's really useful information, both for myself and I think for other people needed to be heard by some of us. <laughs> You know, I, I think on, on some level, like, I also, I didn't want to change everything. I just wanted to change some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, turned out you changed quite a lot. Yeah, true. But I think, you know, there was also a point in my life where I was so scared of change because it felt so threatening. And I think kind of like the same thing that I did with jujitsu is that, like, I was like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to change first. Like, change can't happen to me if I change first. One <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, one quick thing, like, I just thought of now. Which came first, uh, jiu-jitsu or rope play? Um, I think 
Gosh, this is this is going to be a longer answer than you expect, probably. But I think I, I like, don't know. I think they might be related, so that's why I'm asking. I I think with like kinky stuff, I don't want to say like I always knew that I was kinky. Like I feel like as a kid, it's not that I was sheltered, but I was very naive. Um, but I I remember like distinctly fantasizing about being tied up before I knew what fantasies were and before I knew what sex was like okay I I, 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 I kind of remember that from the other angle <laughs> to be honest <laughs> okay right so so like you, you're like thinking about this thing and you have like this like funny feeling between your legs and you can't really you can't really understand why you have like this like weird tingly feeling but you know so <laughs> I I, I guess like even before I was exposed to kink, like there was like something, there was something there. When I became sexually active in my late teens, like uh, I also became a goth at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> which which really was like, you know the perfect kind of subculture to explore my kinky side okay fair enough um but my partner at the time was incredibly insecure and jealous and we kind of got into like kinky stuff a bit and then I was asked to do a photo shoot by a friend of mine um and it was like you know I mean you know what like 19 year old yeah. goth photo shoots so like it was like it was like very like yeah. alt model like not want to be suicide girls but exactly, not quite exactly not that sexy looking back on it but you know he asked a friend of his who is very good at ropes to do some ropes for the shoot um and my boyfriend freaked out about it and he was like well i'm not doing that shit with you anymore like and our sex life got very vanilla. And I think because it was like my first big relationship and because I was still like this like fairly insecure kid, like I took that on and I, you know, I felt like I was to blame. And okay. for a long time, it's something that I wasn't really you, like felt more ashamed of it. Or... Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to say ashamed. Like I just felt like I had put somebody into a situation where they now felt like they weren't good enough. Okay. Um, Even though, obviously, that was his projections. But when you're young, (laughs) you don't know. And it's it's your first relationship, exactly. And I think then, like, that's something that kind of, like, you know, I always knew that I was into it, but even after that relationship ended, like, I was like, oh, I never want to be in a relationship again. I just want to slut around and it's not like you're going to let somebody you're casually sleeping with for the first time necessarily tie you up. <laughs> no, that <laughs> sounds like a terrible idea. All right. <laughs> um, so then I ended up working for this sex toy company, like creating content for them as like part of their marketing team. I was freelance at the time and you know somebody was like oh we saw all your stuff in FHM and you should definitely come work for the sex toy company fuck yes of course and we decided yeah, like, that must have been an easy yes <laughs> right I was like do I get free vibrators yes that okay yes 
And we decided to do a bondage themed shoot uh, for like one of one of the shoots. And because we had no budget, I was like, cool, I'll be tied up for the shoot. Like, <laughs> of course. And my friend Astrid, uh, well, I met her at the time. She is a female rigger, which was also just such a new experience for me to be tied up by a woman. And it was amazing. And afterwards, I was like, fuck, why, <laughs> why haven't I been doing this? Why haven't I been involved in this? It's, I think in South Africa, there isn't such a big scene. And like, there is still... It's a small community. It's, it's a small community, and it's still very much dominated by middle-aged men, I want to say. <laughs> like, this kind of, like, awkward, like, fit lifey. Yeah, from what I see in Durban, like, I mean, I'm not a part of anything, but, like, I chat to people, and that seems to kind of be the vibe. <laughs> like, the people tying people up are usually older men. It has changed a lot in the, like, few years since I started getting into it. And I do feel like, you know, at least in South Africa, like, people like Astrid, I want to say like myself, like, you know, who are open about it, we're kind of like like first wave of people going, hey, we're talking about this thing. It's not it's not to be outrageous or to <laughs> like like this isn't about being the kinkiest or like the, the weirdest. We're just talking about it. It's bondage. It's just it's just have a chat. <laughs> and it has progressed the conversation forward. I mean I know a younger woman in South Africa now who are also taking it up and also taking it forward and being open about, you know, being kinky and stuff. And, like, it's so necessary. Uh, absolutely. And I think it just took, like, a few voices to just be, like, you know, I'm I'm not doing this for the clout. I'm not doing this for, to, like, date people. I'm not... Like, I, I just want to talk about a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that I and enjoy. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, when I left South Africa, it was also like, I just wanted to find bigger kink scenes and, like, more people that I could talk to about this stuff. And, like, now when I look at, like, how the scene is progressing there and how much more open people are and how much more inclusive it is, I'm like, fuck yeah, like... This is actually amazing. <laughs> so is, is Europe like the stereotypes that you hear, like in terms of being sexually open and that? Is it a lot more free than here in South Africa? Um, Berlin certainly is. <laughs> like, I think, I think there's definitely a kind of shamelessness that like even, you know, in Berlin, if you go to the lake on a summer day, like most people are naked and it's not... You know, it's not like a sex thing. It's sexual, just, but yeah. It's just because people aren't ashamed of their bodies and they don't sexualize their naked bodies in the same way. That I kind of miss those days. Like, <laughs> we, like we used to like get naked like as a group, like at parties, and it was weird, but it was freeing, and it was like this, just this cool thing to do to just go you know what like fuck it like it doesn't matter like how I look right now is irrelevant like I'm just enjoying myself I'm just hanging out with people and like trying to just absolve yourself of that judgment both of yourself and of other people is difficult in South Africa 
Uh, yeah, like I think you know, we need to detach ourselves from this idea that nudity equals sex. Thank you. Like that's the biggest <laughs> issue that I've always had with it. It's just like, why can't we just fucking be naked and not be weird? Like, why does it have to be this thing of like now we got to fuck or now it's got to be a weird sexual thing? Like, right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's just like the like the the core of it is rape culture. Just like people going, oh well, you know, you were dressed like that, so clearly you wanted it. Yeah. Um. And I think I think here there's like a lot less of that, which I think also makes the spaces that are more sexual, like, you know, there are a lot of kink clubs um, that have dark rooms, you know, dedicated to like, if you want to go and fuck, you can go fuck. <laughs> but it also like that idea of like detaching yourself from like nudity, equaling sex like also makes people in like those spaces more respectful because you don't just assume anything like you know if somebody wants to come speak to you like my experience is that they ask if it's okay like there's like a huge culture of asking for consent um and i i think i don't know if south african egos could handle that (laughs) right i i just mm, no it is it is exactly a thing about like you need to you need to be okay with rejection. <laughs> but like, but that's something you actually kind of brought up earlier as well. Like, you're not scared to ask, like in general, like these days. I would assume that's also part of what the culture might bring to your external life. Like, where mm-hmm. it is just a matter of like, well, the least I can do here is ask them. They say no, and then that's fine. Or they say yes, and we get to do the things we want to do. And, like, I assume, like, whilst that relates to sex, it also relates to real life. Well, <laughs> sex is real life, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Like, I think I think that's also just, like, I don't know, that's just growing up is that, like, you, you do kind of realize that, like, you can bounce back from rejection and that, you know everything is also just like on a on a spectrum like everything is on a fucking spectrum and if you're negotiating consent like that's what it is it's a negotiation because one okay. thing isn't okay doesn't mean another thing isn't okay like you know the thing is okay, like, I was going to ask what you meant there so yeah thanks for clearing that up like you're having conversations whether you're having work conversations whether you're having sex conversations you know you're asking if something is okay and the response that you get is invariably, you know, that isn't okay. What about this? If nothing is okay, like you need to accept that too. <laughs> like it's, it's just, <clears throat> I guess the whole point is that it's not always black and white. And I think a large problem is that we do see it that way. Yeah without necessarily thinking about, you know, where is this other person coming from? Like, why is this their answer? Why do I feel entitled to this? And I, maybe that's like the difference too, is that, you know, if I'm asking, I don't know, somebody for <laughs> more money over the rate that they've offered me for work, 
like I can recognize why I feel entitled to that because I know what my work is worth. I know what industry standard rates are, etc. If I'm feeling entitled to somebody's body or to somebody's attention, like what what right do I have? <laughs> I mean, quite simply. <laughs> But I don't know if many people break it down that way. Like it's more, I don't know. Like I know patriarchal culture because I've grown up in it, and you're just taught like that the world owes you stuff a lot of the time, mm-hmm. you know. And women <laughs> owe you things essentially. Mm-hmm. And you also, I think a large problem, or well, a large portion of the problem, isn't even just that. It's that you see other men getting things and how they do it and so you think that's how you should behave and like Mm -hmm. it's uh yeah the patriarchy is its own culture (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it's the most dominant one and it's one that we you don't even see like when well you can't that depends i mean it depends on where you are in the whole thing but growing up like there's so much stuff that you just don't see and you just like i know like as a young man like i definitely felt more entitled you know to women mm-hmm. in general and just being like oh why doesn't she like me you know mm-hmm. like she likes that guy but like you know i've got all these things to offer and you're just like you're thinking about things in all the wrong ways uh, absolutely and i think i think you know the thing is it's something that's going to be dismantled from the bottom up like getting back against like your question about like Europe being sexually open or whatever, like it's it's only possible because like that dismantling has begun. Like if you are out of line in a kink club, you're gonna get kicked the fuck out. <laughs> like <laughs> you have to go in there, you have to agree to every rule there. Like you have to hand in your cell phone so you're not taking pictures of people without their consent. Like there are like so many small actions that like needs to be implemented to begin this dismantling (laughs) and you see some of that that's actually happening there yeah that's dope but you also said there are people in south africa astrid how can people check out her stuff do you know her handle offhand well she (laughs) she uh because she doesn't do lessons and stuff does she do, like, I thought she, like, was she one of the people who does lessons and teaches? Yes, other... yes, yes. Yes, yes. So her uh, handle is Desire Lines with an yes. underscore at the beginning. And if people want to get, like, yeah, learn more about these sorts of topics and weed and <laughs> where can they find your writings on it and, you know, various other resources that they could use. I mean, I would say <laughs> Google me. <laughs> uh, fuck, no, don't Google me. F- follow me on Instagram. I have recently changed my handle to that baby Godzilla. Uh, yeah, I, I tried to find Annie Brookstone on Instagram and I couldn't. <laughs> it was I, funny. I, I, I couldn't remember your handle for it. But <laughs> I, I, did, I did change that one because of a few pe- creepy people. I was just like, you know what? <laughs> I mean, weed out the creeps, change my handle for a bit, and yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to find me, that baby Godzilla. If you want to speak to Astrid about rope lessons, desire lines, uh, she also runs Ropey Things. Okay, yeah. What's Ropey like, Things? Ropey Things do workshops in Cape Town and Joburg currently, which is just like nice kind of beginner rope spaces where you don't have to feel totally intimidated. <laughs> 
Yeah, so their their workshops are just like really chilled, like non-sexual spaces. So you can come there, learn something, take it back to your bedroom. Like you don't have to feel like you're going to get hit on or like you have to be dressed in a certain way or, you know. Is is that like a thing, like I've chatted to some people about it. Like I know we're ending this interview, but I just had this thing pop in my mind. Like mm-hmm. is not all role play is sexual, right? Like some of yeah like i would assume like sometimes yeah being tied up definitely you're not having any sexual desires there no i mean there are people other times it is there are people who i've tied with who i would never have sex with and there are people who i've had sex with that i've that i would never tie with like they can be very distinct distinct things like, you know, some people do it for the art of it, the artistry, for yeah. creating something beautiful. That, that's a lot of what I see online. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some people find it very therapeutic and grounding. Some people are just sadists or masochists and into that side of it. Like, that's also, like, something that you... But that goes more bondage and, like, BDSM side, right? Than just... Yeah, yes. But, I mean, ultimately, like, what it is depends on your dynamic with the person that you're tying. Okay. So if you've got a sexual relationship with that person and that's a part of what you want to bring to the bedroom, cool. If it's someone who's like, I enjoy tying people up because I enjoy the artistic expression, and you're like, well, I enjoy, you know, being compressed into, like, a little ball, then you work that out too, and it's not a sexual thing. Exactly, and like that's that's also the thing. It's like when when you're negotiating consent, like people have this idea that it's only when you're in a kind of kinky situation or something, and it's it's not. It ex, ex, extends to so much stuff. Like, you know, if somebody's tying me, for example, like what is it for? Like, what's what's our dynamic? It's ultimately you empower yourself with these conversations. Because you don't know what you want out of it and what they want out of it, and you both agree going, this is what we want out of it. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, <laughs> thank you for all of this. I know, like, I've learned a lot. Like, that's why I, you've been on my list forever, but obviously, this <laughs> was a podcast where I'm meant to do them in person. And, you know, I, so I'm stoked we finally got to have this chat and, like, have this. Um, yeah episode of the podcast because <laughs> i want i want dudes to hear it i want you know younger women to hear it i want older women to hear it i want everyone to just <laughs> know the shit because i've learned like i say like following you online has been one of the best followers like like <laughs> in terms of text writing stoya and you are like my go-tos like that's where like yeah like uh, i like to like learn from other women so you're, you're totally making me blush again <laughs> <laughs> No, but, like, I, I genuinely appreciate your work and what you've done. And, like, yeah, I think some of my girlfriends probably do, too. So <laughs> thank you very much for your time, for everything. It's a lot to me. Thank you. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And, yeah, we'll chat again soon. Yes, please.